All right, we are ready to go. We're in John chapter 3. If you would turn in your Bibles, we're going to jump in. All right, kind of a familiar passage. John chapter 3, Jesus talks about being born again, and He's talking to Nicodemus. So I think there's some things the Lord uh, can teach us in this. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus. We submit ourselves to you in the power and the anointing and the teaching ability of the Holy Spirit. And we just simply say, Holy Spirit, speak to us, show us, and continue to, to help the truth of who you are be rooted and grounded deep in our heart. Thank you, Father, for blessing us tonight, for helping us understand your truth. Help me, Lord, as I preach. I need your help, Lord. Help me as, as I teach and declare your truth, Lord. And let the truth set us free. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to cover the first 15 verses. Chapter 3, this is, of course, the encounter with Nicodemus uh, and Jesus. In fact, this is the first encounter that Jesus has with a Pharisee. Uh, in the book of John. So it's kind of an interesting um, encounter. Let's begin with verse 1, if we could. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, and I'm going to ask you in a minute, why in the world do you think this took place at dark in the evening when basically people didn't do a whole lot? They stayed in their homes. So at dark, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So he could see that. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'll just have to say, Nicodemus was not asking for, for this. He was not looking for this. Uh, he came, spoke, uh, in a sense, a word of kindness and respect by calling him rabbi. That was a respected term, to call him a teacher. And, and he acknowledged that he was from God. He acknowledged that he did great miracles. So he just, you know, he's being nice to him. He's being respectful to him. And Jesus whaps him upside of the head. <laughs> And just says, your righteousness is not enough to get you into heaven. That's basically what he said to him. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, <clears throat> excuse me, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Verse 7, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. In other words, it's not something you can see as it transpires. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, 
you are a respected Jewish teacher. Some of the translations say that he is a leader among the Pharisees. And yet, you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen. And yet, excuse me, I've got something in my throat. And yet, you won't believe our testimony. But, if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No man has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man, referring to himself, has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So even here, he's already declaring his death on the cross. Uh, The Son of Man would be lifted up, and because he would be, then all men would be drawn to him. And so, you know, this whole passage is, is kind of interesting. Why do you think it was at night? Anybody have a thought on why in the world would Nicodemus come at night after dark? It's kind of unusual. Anybody? What do you think? Does not want to be seen. He, he wanted to do it in secret because he's a respected leader of the Jewish people, a, a teacher, and most of the teachers were rejecting Jesus. And so he didn't, he didn't want the peer pressure of all of his friends, all fellow Pharisees, uh, making fun of him, ridiculing him, and maybe even accusing him of blasphemy, uh, associating with someone who was teaching heresy. So probably he's worried about his own reputation, uh, and, but yet there's a desire, there's some kind of hunger to know and understand more about this man. Obviously, he recognized the miraculous power flowing through him, and he recognized that power had to come from God, but not so much that he was ready to commit himself to Jesus. But I think this was more of just a I want to know more meeting. I want to understand more. Help me to understand more. Um, and Jesus immediately, and to me, I'm just amazed, because Nicodemus does not ask, what do I have to have or what do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to go to heaven? He doesn't see any of that. But Jesus just right up front says, unless a man is born again, he can never see or enter into the kingdom of God. And he's just like, whoa, I I know he must have been shocked. Uh, And because, first of all, well, number one, I want to ask, what is a Pharisee? Tell me, anybody just give me their understanding what is a Pharisee? What is their primary teaching or, or belief system? Uh, Bill? Yeah. They, Mosaic law and specifically 
about the law, they believed that a man went to heaven, uh, had relationship with God, and would enter into heaven specifically because they kept the laws perfectly. And the word perfectly was uh, a big issue with them. They wanted to keep the law perfectly. Uh, As they went through the Old Testament, they found 613 commands that they believed were commands in the Old Testament. Uh, Interestingly enough, I think there are 248 do's and uh, 365 don'ts. Uh, Can you imagine your whole life being a, a one do or don't after the other? Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Uh, and they had, in addition to these 613 commands uh, that came from God's Word, they had literally hundreds and hundreds more of what they called uh, pharisaical laws or teachings based on those 613 that helped them to fully and perfectly keep the law. Let me give you, for instance... Uh, the Bible says, and in the, in the, you know from uh, the Ten Commandments, that on the Sabbath you should not work. But God's Word doesn't elaborate on what, quote, work is. So the Pharisees had almost 75 rules explaining what work was. Here's an interesting thing. If you tied a knot on the Sabbath, that was work and that was forbidden. However, if, you, uh, if a woman would tie a sash uh, or a belt around her waist, that was not work. So, they, got, they worked their way around things. And so, when they needed to get water out of a well, since they couldn't tie a knot and a rope and put the thing down, they would tie a sash around a woman's waist and lower it down into the well, and that's okay. <laughs> what is the difference? Well, uh, the, the Pharisees came up with the idea that as long as a woman tied a sash or a, something around her waist, it wasn't work. So they work that into their plan to be able to get water or whatever they needed to do. And so they're always thinking of ways to get around uh, what the commands were. And you have to understand that to a Pharisee, it was essential that they keep the law perfectly so that on the outside they would be seen by God as keeping the law and they believed that would give them entrance into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus knew that about the Pharisees. He knew the moment uh, Nicodemus walked in that Nicodemus thought this way. And so Jesus didn't beat around the bush. He just simply said, Nicodemus, you think you're going to heaven. You think you're in the kingdom of God, but I want to tell you, unless... A man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's just it. And, and, you know, by using the word unless, that simply means that it is the sole priority requirement to get to heaven, to get into the kingdom of God. When you use that word unless, a man is born again, 
you will never see God. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It just excluded everything he believed in. It said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, everything you have ever believed in, as far as the keeping of the law perfectly, is wrong. And no wonder, I mean, I can just imagine, uh, his perspective was, what? You know, first of all, he wasn't ready for that question. He hadn't introduced that subject, but Jesus doesn't, you know, he just kind of gets right to the point. And and when God is dealing with your life, haven't you found that just Jesus doesn't beat around the bush? He just gets right to the heart of the matter and said, this is the issue at hand. No beating around the bush. There's no small talk. This is the issue. And with Nicodemus, he believed he could enter into the kingdom of heaven by perfectly keeping the law. And Jesus said, that's not true unless you're born again. You will never see God. You will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that drove the conversation from there. And, of course, Nicodemus, he takes it literally uh, and and tries to say, well, hold it now. How can an old man uh, enter back into his mother's womb and, and be born again? Again, Nicodemus is taking it literally. Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth, not another physical birth. And he did kind of give reference to both by saying, you're born of water and of the Spirit. First time we're born, we're born in water. You know, in our mother's womb is in a sack of water. And so we're first born of water. Now, some people believe that's a reference to water baptism. I don't think so. I think the context clearly shows that he's talking about there's a, there's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. And I think that he's trying to say we have to have both. You've got to be born physically, but you need to be born spiritually too. So let me have what you believe. Um, What are the credentials to enter into heaven? What are the credentials? If someone were to come up and ask you and say, what is necessary to enter into heaven? What are you going to say to them? Donald? Okay. Acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I like that. What else? Or anything else? And I think that's the heart of the matter. It's all about Jesus and believing in Jesus and acknowledging Jesus and letting Him be the Lord of your life. Uh, And I think, you know, you can be a good person. You can attend church, uh, you can do all kinds of religious stuff, but in reality, none of that gets you to heaven. None of that gives you entrance into heaven. None of that gives you relationship with God. You see, God is not interested in our personal remodeling projects, and that's what they are. He is interested in, in internal spiritual transformation. God wants to start on the inside of man, and then, having worked on the inside, then the inside will then impact the outside. But you notice how religion is just the opposite. Religion says, let's work on the outside, and that's the way the Pharisees work. You know, do this, don't do this, do this, don't that, go to church, don't, don't go to, don't go, and 
Everything had to do with the external. And Jesus is trying to let them see, no, no, it's internal. God is interested in what goes on on the inside. And notice here, it's not something you can do. It's only something the Spirit of God can do. But we have to acknowledge Him and welcome His presence and allow Him to come in and do the transformation. He is not going to do it against our will. God will not force you to be born again. He will not force you to surrender your life to Him. He will not force you to make Him Lord. This is all a willing choice. Why? Why, do you th- why is everything based upon our willingness? Anybody? Yes. Penny? Yeah, 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 same thing, but yeah. In other words, God's not interested in a shotgun wedding. He he doesn't want you to feel like you've been coerced into loving God. And you know, that's really what religion does. It forces us and says, you've got to do this and this and this and this, and then God will love you. But that's not what God is interested in. He wants you to come to the altar as the bride. And he wants you to come willingly and say, I'm here to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm here because I love him and I'm willing to love him. And he has been willing to love us. Everything is about a love relationship that God so deeply wants and desires with us. You know, in that song tonight, we were singing the last one, you know, Jesus, I love you. Oh, how I love you. And that is what is the heart of God. He wants you to love him. And religion has the way of forcing us and and causing us to feel like we've got to do certain things in order to please God. God already loves you. He already loves you. Long before you ever knew him, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us. While we were messing up and didn't know him, and we're going our own way and doing our own thing. Does that sound familiar with some of you? You were all going your own way, doing your own thing. Well, while you were doing that and doing all sorts of terrible and wrong decisions, God loved you. And you say, how could God possibly love you? Because you belong to him. You are his creation. And he loves you because he created you in his image. And he wants that love relationship back. And he is literally going to love you into loving him. But he's not going to force you. He'll love you into loving him, but he's not going to force you into loving him. So, he talks about spiritual birth. And he really spends um, the, the bulk of his time here. Uh, with spiritual, talking about this new spiritual birth. So uh, what do you 
how would you describe your best description uh, if somebody says, what is this spiritual new birth? What do you say? How do you describe that? Give me your best understanding of spiritual new birth. Anybody? Yes, yes, yes. All at once now. Come on. All right. Donald? Indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yes, brother. Yeah, you. Yeah. Hmm. I like it. Anything else? Yes. Interesting. My desires become his desires and vice versa. His desires become mine. Yes, I like that. Anybody else? What is new spiritual birth? Because that's what he was talking about. Yes. Okay. When he places us under his blood, which gives forgiveness of sin. Okay. I'm looking for one other angle. Yes. Become connected with God the Father. Yeah, I, I would say that is a description of new spiritual birth. Yeah, I like that. Ben, what do you say? Okay, that's what I was looking for. Thank you, Ben. And that is, um, if you see yourself, here you are, you're an individual, and you're, what you see when you look at a person, you see their body. But there are two other parts to that body. There's a spirit and a soul. Now, if that person has not been born again, then they have a soul, but their soul is walking according to the flesh, walking according to that old nature. Basically, Satan has a hook in their nose and is leading them around, doing whatever they want to do. But their spirit is what? It's dead. Now, how do we, where did man's spirit become dead? Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. I believe it's Genesis chapter 2. We had that scripture, Brother Chuck, in Genesis 2, or is it Genesis 3? Genesis 2.16. There it is. This is back in the Garden of Eden. But the Lord's God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to what? Die. So, since he said you are sure to die, he did not die physically. His soul didn't die because he still had mind, will, and emotions, thinking ability, and cognitive uh, reasoning ability. So it wasn't the soul that died. It wasn't the physical body that died. It was his spirit. So from the time of Adam all the way, fast forward through all of time until Jesus. Until Jesus paid the price put his blood, we talked about it a second ago, put his blood on the holy of holies in heaven, paid the sin debt, 
came back to earth, resurrected, met with the, one, the disciples in the upper room, and said, receive ye the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and He breathed on them. And I'm convinced that the, the, the analogy of the breathing on them is that God is saying He wants to breathe on our dead spirit and bring life. Because spirit is that same understanding of life and spirit. And so God wants to breathe in every individual's life and bring life to that individual. Now I want us to go back, look at, because this was really what he talked about in Ezekiel 36. I've used this several times uh, back in Ezekiel 36. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water. He's promising the new covenant. And this is what he says about the new covenant. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will, no, you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. You will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I definitely believe he's referring to man's spirit. There, He's going to give us a new spirit. He's going to make that spirit alive in you. I will take you out your old your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So therefore, we're going to walk in His ways. Why? Because we, my spirit, your spirit has been made alive. That's the new spiritual birth He's trying to talk to Nicodemus about. And he's saying, I'm going to breathe on you. The breath of God is going to breathe, and it's going to cause man to be born again, and you're going to become a brand new person. And, he, and again, he talks about a new heart. You're going to take out the old heart, put in a new heart. He's going to give them a new spirit. Why? Because our spirit is dead, and we need a new live spirit. And in addition, he's going to put his Holy Spirit inside of us. All that takes place at new birth. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the story of the Valley of Dry Bones? Y'all heard that story? It's in Ezekiel 2. Guess where, where's the Valley of the Dry Bones? The next chapter. And what I want you to understand is that when he speaks about the Valley of Dry Bones to Ezekiel, it is directly related to what he just said in Ezekiel 36. Let's look at Ezekiel 37, the next chapter. And I know this is a long passage, but it shows you how it ties into it. The Lord took hold of me. I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground, and they were completely dried out. So he's having a vision and it's a spiritual vision. He's taking him and he sees this. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? So, oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put what? Breath into you and make you live again. Verse 6. 
I will put flesh and muscles on you, cover you with skin. I'll put breath into you. You will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So he spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, I was, as I spoke, there was this rattling noise all over the valley, and the bones of each body came together, attached themselves. That must have been quite a scene. As complete skeletons, so you got all these bones, and now they're skeletons. Then I watched, and the muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then the skin formed to cover their bodies. This is, you know, you ever saw that movie called The Mummy? This is sound just like that. Then the skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. And they said, speak a prophetic message to these winds, to the winds, son of man. I love this. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so that they can live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me. And breath came into their bodies, then they all came to life and stood on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel, the people of God. They are saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. Look at verse 14. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return to your own homeland your own land, then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I've done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. The picture is an amazing, and I know he's speaking specifically at that time to the nation of Israel, but don't you think he was looking ahead that God was causing and speaking to us and say, look at the people all around you. They're dead. They're nothing but dead bodies, dead people, skeletons, but there's no life in them. There's no breath in them. And what are we to do? We're to tell them about Jesus. What is that? That is speaking the breath, the Word of God to them. And as we begin to speak and prophesy and speak about Jesus to people, life comes into those dead bodies. People are born again. They come alive. Why? Because I put, God says, I put my breath in them. I put my spirit within them. So what he said in Ezekiel 36 about the fulfillment of the, the promises of the, old, of the new covenant that would be coming, I think the picture of the valley of dry bones is simply a prophetic picture, not only of what would happen to Israel, but fast forward a couple of thousand years, actually 3,000 years, to our day when Jesus would allow us to prophesy. I mean, every time, well, what is prophesy? Prophesy is to speak the word of the Lord. When you speak to people about Jesus, you are speaking to dry bones. You are speaking to people that they might, may have the skin on them, but they have no breath. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. 
And when you tell them about Jesus, they have the opportunity to have life. God wants to breathe across them and bring life to them. That was the message behind the Valley of Dry Bones. And it wasn't by chance that Jesus used that analogy of wind. Let's go back to John chapter 3, and let's see what Jesus said again about the wind blowing. Go back to John chapter 3. Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants. Here he is. He's using the analogy of wind or breath. Just as you hear the wind, you, you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, but you, and you can't explain how the people... So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So the, the wind, the breath, you know, when we pray for people, they come down, they give their hearts to the Lord Jesus. As we pray with them and as they pray and surrender their hearts to Jesus, I believe God breathes across them and through them and those dead bones come alive and the breath of God comes into them. And the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 comes to pass. He takes out the old heart, puts in a new heart, puts his, his spirit and causes their spirit to come alive. That is a spiritual new birth that takes place. Amazing, amazing, amazing. One other scripture I want you to, to see. Um, John 14, verse 15. He says this. He says, If you love me, Obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate. That's the Holy Spirit who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because they didn't look for him, doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now, and later will be in you. And there, there's that Holy Spirit He breathes on you, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. And then the other verse, I want to say, 1 John 5, 10. We're going to skip 6, go to 10. All who believe in the Son of God know in their heart that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. So spiritual birth, what is it? It's when what was dead comes to life. But in order for that to happen, you have to believe what God has said about Jesus. It's required. And God has done a great deal for us But it is required that we believe what God's Word says is true and then be willing to commit that and confess that before God. Uh, A fourth uh, fourth thing I wanted to ask you here, and that is, how do you know if somebody's been born again? How do you know? Prayed, you've asked God uh, to come into your life, so how do you know? How can you be sure? Bill? There's got to be some evidence somehow uh, that something has happened. If you've got seed in there, seed is going to produce good fruit. There are five things that I want us to look at that I think are evidences to can say, 
I know that I've been born again. The first one, and there's a love for Jesus. I don't think you can be born again and not have a love for Jesus. It's just an automatic, instant uh, result of being born again. You pray and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Give your heart to Him. I believe you have a love for Jesus. Uh, John eight forty two, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would what? You would love me. So if you have a relationship with God, you would love Jesus. It's just that simple. Because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, on my own but he sent you. The second thing I think is an evidence, and that is a love for God's Word. I love this passage in John eight forty seven. Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. Don't you, don't you agree with that? You know, reading God's Word is not some duty that you have to do to prove uh, something. Here, he just simply says it. Anyone who belongs to God, you listen gladly. You're excited. You know, I know we, we cover a lot of things that you've heard before, but you know, if you love Jesus and you have a relationship with Jesus, you love hearing God's Word. I love it. I've heard it for over 50 years. I love God's Word. I love to hear it. I love to read it. I love to hear it preached. I love for others to read it. I love it spoken. I love it sung. Why? It is God's Word to us. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, I just believe you will love God's Word. Just hard not to. Third thing I see, and that is um, a transformed life. And that's what Bill was kind of talking to a minute ago there. And that is, you know, Jesus said it this way. He said, if you love me, John 14 Uh, 15, he said, if you love me, you're going to do what? Keep my commandments. Now, that was just another way of saying, if you love Jesus, you're going to have a transformed life. You're going to keep the commandments of God. You're going to follow in his ways. You're going to hunger for God's word to know what, what do I need to do? And you're not looking to see what you can get away with and still be a Christian, but you're looking to see, Lord, what can I do that honors you the most? And so, again, I think a transformed life is a result of being born again. John fourteen twenty three says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them. And we will come and make our home with each one of them. You love Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to walk in His ways. just that simple. And then the last thing, a love, no, fourth thing, and that is a love for other people. Um, How many of you, when you got born again, did you recognize a noticeable difference in your heart about loving people? Yeah, this is something, you know, you can, you can walk into church and be angry at everybody and mad at everybody and be just kind of a mean, ornery person, you know. 
Y'all know some people like that. And then get born again. And you walk out that same day and you love everybody. Everything you're mad about (laughs) doesn't matter anymore. There's why. You just love people. You love born again and not born again. You love saved and unsaved. You love people. Because it's hard to hate people and love God. And that's what Jesus kind of was talking about here in John, 1 John 3. We'll just read a little passage here, verse 13 through 16. It says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We love our brothers and sisters who are believers. It proves that we have passed from death to life. So it, it is a evidence of their, that we were dead and then we were made alive. But a person who has no love, what's that? You're still dead. The, the breath of God has not touched your spirit. Verse 15, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So real simply, you know, these are evidences of what does it look like to have new birth. Because I'm a firm believer that when you have a relationship with Jesus, you give your heart to Jesus, there will be some changes. And then the last thing, last evidence, a desire to bear witness of your new life. Acts 1.8, but you see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And do lack. In uh, New Orleans and Homa and everywhere. You'll tell everywhere, wherever you are, you want to tell people about Jesus. Not because you're trying to score points with God, but because you want others to have the same life that you have. You've been set free. You've been forgiven. You have a wonderful relationship with God. God loves you and cares about you. He's got a plan for your life. He gives you purpose and hope and meaning in your life. And you just want others to have that. So you're not like trying to impress anybody or, uh, you know, gain points or something. It's just you want them to have the same life that you have. And I know, I know it's, it's difficult when you try and share Jesus with people and they are not interested at all. Why is that? You ever gotten that response before? Tried to share Jesus and they just kind of <laughs> shut it off? Why, why, do, why do they do that? Why are people not interested in Jesus? Any ideas? Yes. They want to do what they want to do, and you talking about Jesus is going to cramp their style. Penny? Okay. 
Okay, scared of the unknown? Interesting. What that is. Yeah. You know, some people have this idea that God is, is up there. He's got this big white robe and a long beard. And he's got lightning bolts in each hand. And he's just waiting for you to sin. And he's going to throw that lightning bolt down. And if God ever got a hold of your life, he'll send you to Africa and you're going to have to slave in the jungles of Africa. I mean, we have these weird ideas. And it's hard for them to imagine that serving Jesus is the funnest, most exciting life that you can possibly imagine. And you try and tell somebody, yeah, Renee? Okay. So, so when you say tradition, is it that they're afraid to go against that tradition? Yeah. Right. Wow. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and what Brother Renee just described is what so many people live and maybe not the catholic church but other churches they you know they they go down the same road it's all about ritual it's all about following the rules it's all about doing the things that you got to do and and i just want to say god has so much more for us he got so much more for us ed Yeah, and, and, and the traditions, it's almost like a, a warm, comfortable coat that you're comfortable in and you don't want to change because you don't know what it's going to be like to change. Diane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not just the traditions of the church that you're fighting against. It's the God of this world.
It's the enemy of our soul. It is Satan himself and all of his demonic powers who are doing everything they can to make sure that we're blind to the truth. Because the truth is so good. <laughs> you know, it's so wonderful. You know, it is so such a fulfilling life that the enemy does not want you to hear. You know, I don't think the enemy cares if you're steeped in traditions or whether you're living out in the world and strung out on drugs. As long as you're kept from a relationship with Jesus, he really doesn't care what keeps you away from him. He just wants to keep you away from God and having this wonderful relationship. If you have a brother, a sister, a a family member who are like what we're talking about, they don't want to have anything to do with it. What is the most powerful thing you can do for them to change? Pray. Pray. I agree walking it, talking it, living it, it's important. But I want to tell you, pray. Pray. And then... Pray. And after you've done that, pray. And how do you pray? God soften their hearts. Show them the truth of where they are in their life. Show them the emptiness of their life. God, cause them to not be satisfied and cause them to hunger for more in life than what they have. Help them to see how empty they are. Lord, help their eyes that have been blinded to be open to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that God would open their eyes. Because if you walk up to them and say, Brother, I just want you to know you're wrong and I'm right. How's that going to fly? That ain't going to fly. They're not going to like that. And it doesn't matter what you walk, talk, whatever. If you come off harsh and know it all, they don't want to hear a word you have to say. So you've got to love them. You've got to live it. And you've got to pray. And the day's going to come when their hearts are going to be softened and they're going to be hungry for the truth. That might be some crisis in their life. That brings them to that point. It may be somebody in their family goes through a terrible trial, an ordeal. And it looks like the world is falling apart. But sometimes it's that very ordeal they're going through that causes the whole family to come to Jesus. So you never know what God is going to use to open eyes. That's exactly right. Because if we have a wrong attitude and we're praying for them, God's going to correct us. This prayer doesn't just change them. Prayer has a way of, God has a way of correcting.
correcting us and stepping all over our toes when our attitude is lousy. So I agree with that. And a lot of times people say, well, how come it takes so long? Well, sometimes you're stubborn. (laughs) Sometimes they're stubborn. You know, there are all kinds of things going on here. And the last thing I wanted to ask you, kind of along the notes here, but it just, it kind of directly relates to this, and that is, what do you do? Uh, because, I mean, why do some believers in Jesus not have a transformed life? You all know them. They, they say they believe in Jesus, but they don't have a transformed life. So, what's going on? What do you think, Penny? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Maybe they don't believe it. Because it's easy to say one thing, but not really believe it. But then the other, excuse me, the other thing I want us to remember, and that is, even if it's good seed, and that good seed has been planted in us, it takes time. Isn't that right? You plant something, and it's going to take time? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and here's the thing. I'm glad you said it that way. They want to believe in Jesus. They want heaven. They want all the good, quote, benefits. But they also want the world. They also like what is in the world, and they like doing their own thing, and they like drinking their beer, and they like going to where they like to go, and they like doing all the things they like doing. They don't want to give that up. So they kind of want to, uh, they want to be, Both. They want to hold hands with the devil and Jesus all at the same time, (laughs) which doesn't work. And so, if you have a friend, brother, sister, mom, dad, cousin, wife, husband, and vocally and with their mouth, they, they say, I love Jesus. But when you look at their life, they don't have a transformed life. My first encouragement to you, be patient. The book of John talks about how Jesus, that John the Baptist baptized with water. But Jesus would baptize us with what? fire and then this is Matthew 3 he says and the winnowing fan everybody know what winnowing fan is kind of an old English term it's that you've probably seen them they're kind of like big bellows then you squeeze it together and they would set up those big winnowing fans and it would blow the the wind would blow the air across the threshing floor and they would have the wheat 
out there, and when they pick the wheat, it's got the chaff, and it's got the stalk, and it's got all part. It's, it's not just the, you know, little kernels of wheat. It's got all that stuff. And the winnowing fan is, is they would pick that stuff up with forks and let it drop down down. Then somebody's got the winnowing fan, and it's blowing the air. And what does that do? That blows all the chaff away, and it leaves only the wheat. And what Jesus said, he said, the winnowing fan is in his hand. So, you know, I was reading that one day, and I, I felt like the Holy Spirit was reminding me that when you're dealing with people, just remember the winnowing fan is in his hand, not yours. Not your job to clean the chaff up in their life. That's his job. If you do it, you'll focus on the wrong thing. You'll be hung up about this and that, and you don't like this, and you don't like that. I think you ought to get rid of this, and I think you ought to get rid of that. thing of it is, this is in his hand. And God is always interested in the internal, not the external. Because God knows if he cleans up the internal, it'll change the external. So allow God, if you have a friend or whoever it is, and they believe in Jesus or say they believe in Jesus, could be a lot of things going on. They could just be talking and there's no real change. They might not be born again. They just talk. But they could be born again. And the seed is in them. And they have truly committed their hearts to Jesus. But they're struggling with that change. They're struggling with letting go of some of that old stuff. But understand, the winnowing fan is in Jesus' hand. And the fire is intended to burn up all the chaff and leave only the wheat. And so God is at work. Our job is not to clean other people up. Our job is to love them and pray for them. Because if the winnowing fan gets in your hand, you're going to mess them up. And then you are going to recreate them in your own image. You're going to remodel them to be who you think they ought to be. And most likely you're going to get things out of order and all messed up. It's better to say, I'm going to love them and pray for them. And hey, you might see some things in your life that you think that doesn't belong in their life. And you're probably right. Yes, Nicole? Right. That's right. Right. And, and here's the neat thing. God may use one thing in one person's life to change them, and then he uses something totally different in someone else's life. And here's another weird thing. You can have someone 
to say something, and it just goes right. And then someone else comes along and says it, and they go, oh, wow, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And I want to say, I said that two years ago. You didn't hear it? But here's the the timing. And the way it was said. And maybe they weren't ready. You know, maybe they needed some soaking and some, you know, worship and understanding of this and some more understanding of that before they could handle it. And so, be patient. And keep seeking God. Keep coming to church. You know, your husband, Nicole, is the one that got you here. But not only was he changed, you got changed. And that's happened many times. But again, we're all in the same place. God is in the process of changing us. And we're all at different places. And God uses different things and different people to touch our lives. But it's the same thing that God wants in all of our life. He wants us to give honor and glory to Him and have a relationship with us. And for Nicodemus, Jesus just knew, hey, this is a Pharisee. He thinks he's going to heaven because of his good works. I'm just going to slap him right upside the head and say, you cannot get into the heaven by your credentials. You are not going to make it, guy. What? What are you talking about? That's what he needed. But that's not what he said to every person. You know, you sometimes other people, you're going to be a little more subtle. I'd like for us to pray tonight that God, we would allow him to work in our life and do the things he wants to do in our life to change us at his pace. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? Thank you, Lord. Just join with me. Raise your hands with me and agree with me. Oh, Lord, I just, I love you, and I thank you, Lord, for the hearts of the people. Lord, we love you. And, Lord, I I thank you that the Holy Spirit has breathed in us and brought life to our dead spirit. And what was once dead is now alive. And you put your Holy Spirit in us, given us a brand new heart. And, Lord, once you've done that, Lord, you begin the process of cleaning us up and making us into who you want us to be, fulfilling your plan and your purpose for our life. Lord, help us to do that. And help us to allow you to do that in our life, Lord. You're an amazing God who loves us with an amazing love. Thank you, Lord. Finish the work you started in each of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.